Hello, there is Gareth here, and welcome to episode 50 of the podcast. 50? 50. 50 podcasts. So that's why you're here, because you're the special guest on, on <laughs> podcast number 50. You mean you couldn't find anybody else? Do you know what? I had a couple of people that I would have maybe brought on, but I, it, it was you that I wanted on. Because... Um, you forgot what I look like. <laughs> no, I forgot what you look like. What kind of statement's that? I can never forget what you look like, so... The reason I wanted you on today was because I think 50 is quite a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a landmark. Yeah, it's iconic, 50. The 50th. And um, it's funny because when I was thinking about who to bring on, I was considering having like a, 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 a kind of a load of people on. I thought, because you've been on, Rianne's been on, John's been on, I've had Phil Lee on. And I thought, I wonder if I get everybody together that's ever been a guest on here um, and have, a, and have, and have the, um, the podcast around that. And I just thought, nah, we'll just get Sue. Well, I feel honoured. You should feel honoured. And no, I wanted you on today because I thought today, with it being the 50th episode and all, I'd want to make it a little bit special. And it's funny, the more the more I thought about trying to make it, make it special, the less special it feels. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, I think it's just one of those, it's a funny day today because today's the day I've set aside to a lot of stuff. Mm. And as yet... <laughs> You've been I've laughing. Got, no, it's not I've been laughing. I just, I just simply cannot... I'm quite. I was. I was quite frustrated this morning with some writing I couldn't get done, and then after that I thought I'll do a video because I'm doing this daily video challenge thing that you know, and I couldn't get that done. So I'm kind of hoping, you know, maybe mm. the podcast will get me into it because um, I need to get me act together. Feeling a little bit wallacoy today. A little bit. What's what is it? Um, uninspired. Mm. Well, I'm not because I've got a few tools to use <laughs> tell me about your tools my fundamental choices that i've been making yeah i was going to i was going to talk about that we we're going to talk about the choices and I, I want to kind of mention this to people because this is something that's i think part of the reason i'm, I'm slightly in this place at the moment is to do with that work we've been doing mm. because now let's tell people about it we, we shouldn't keep this to ourselves no right in january last year we, me and Sue have a mutual friend, um, a, a lady called Gillian. And Gillian is from Scotland. But she recently, well, I don't know how recently now, two years? Yeah, nearly three years ago. N- nearly three years, is it? She moved to to America. So we met Gillian about five years ago at an event when we brought somebody across from America called Testeiner. And Testeiner did something called Heart Circles which was a way of connecting with people in a, at a slightly deeper level and a very interesting piece of work. We, we, we followed the art circle stuff for quite some time and we still use it a little bit now, don't we? We do. But we met Gillian at an event we put on when Tess Steiner came to America. That's, so that's to give you the background of what Gillian, who Gillian is. And she lived in Scotland, then she moved to America to get married to a guy that um, is, a, is a horse whisperer, isn't he? Apparently, yeah, horse Anyway, horse something to do with horses. She, yeah. She's a big fan of horses. So we, we we used to connect with Gillian on a regular basis when she was in Scotland on, on Zoom calls. Can I, can I just um, say, don't people have interesting jobs? It is an interesting job, isn't it? And he's very successful as well, isn't he? You've reminded me of something there. I was once at the East Coast in Yorkshire, Bridlington. And I'm walking on Bridlington front, and, in, and at that time I had a business. Um, I'd, I'd pick her up, and I'd taken a day off to go see my mum. And I was just outside where she lived. She lived on the seafront. And um, it says hard like she's not alive anymore. She's still alive. She just lives somewhere else now, right? Okay. Uh, just to finish off. And as I was sat there on that front, feeling a little bit dejected, I have to say, but kind of fed up with myself at that time. And uh, this this plane went across because they fly out over from Brillington from Air Force bases up in North Yorkshire. And it shot across. And I looked up at that part and I thought, what an interesting job he's got. Mm. What an interesting job. And it didn't dawn me from, for a moment that he's probably sat up there in his plane thinking, bloody hell, here's me in this plane again. Look at that guy down there in that fishing boat. I bet he's got an interesting job. <laughs> and there's probably somebody on the seafront walking across thinking, who's that guy there? It's Gareth. If I told him what I did, I run a business and I've got these people, he'd probably say, oh, and he got an interesting job. It's funny how everybody's job that you don't do always seems more interesting than one that you do. Is that not the case? Sometimes, yeah. But yeah, you just sometimes. think, you know, a horse whisperer. A horse whisperer. Is actually that a job? Clearly it Clearly is. Clearly it is. Horses are big, big business. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we digress in now. 
but that's Gillian. So we met Gillian. She went to America. We used to connect with her on, on, on calls. Then it dropped off a little bit. Then we got in connection, to the connection with her again. We started having some Zoom calls. And then last year, she she asked for me address for some reason. And I, I didn't twig why she'd asked for me address. But I just gave her me address. You know, why not? And then a book came through the post that she'd sent to us, which she, she kind of alluded to that she'd been reading something which was very important to her. So I am going to... And I've mentioned it on a couple of other podcasts, and I've mentioned it in a couple of blogs, but I haven't given the details. So today... We're going to give a few more deets. We're going to give you the deets. She introduced me to a gentleman's work. The gentleman is called William Whitecloud. And William Whitecloud is a author. Magician. Well, he calls himself a magician. Anybody listening to this is not open to things. You need to keep a bit open through this. Please listen, because we're going somewhere with this. So it might sound a little bit weird when we start talking about the word magicians to start with. But he does class himself as a magician. Now, he's not somebody that sits on stage and pulls um, doves out of his top pocket or makes rabbits disappear. He's somebody that talks about an, an older version of what a magician would be. So we're going back to shamanic times and kind of deeper... Um, kind of more um, spirit-based things. So William Whitecloud has wrote a number of books. And the book she sent me, which in turn I shared with Sue, was called William Whitecloud's The Secrets of Natural Success. And uh, the, the kind of the strap line to the book is Five Steps to Unlocking Your Genius. Ooh, who wouldn't, <laughs> who wouldn't want a who piece of that? Who wouldn't want a piece of that? And I have to say, for most people, the book probably wouldn't resonate with you because on the front of it is like beads and, a, and, a, and some rocks. And it all looks very kind of ancient and a bit way out there. But I trust Gillian because she's, despite the fact we were involved in some stuff that was a little bit kind of, at times, a bit out there. She, she's a grounded individual and she's, she's got a, a career, actually, I think is based in science, isn't she? She's a scientist of yeah. some description. She's a very kind of sensible lass, is what I'll say. She's not... Kind of a, a bit of a flower pot. So she sent us this book. I read it. And I have to say, I was blown away with his work. So William Whitecloud. I then got Sue the book. You liked it, did you not? I did. Because we were fighting over the same book. So we got another one. Oh, we just got another one, didn't we? So we've, we've got our own copies of it. And that led that led us from reading that in January into, into um, February. It got us to take on a course that William Whitecloud was doing. And William Whitecloud's course was six weeks when we connected with people through Zoom across the world. And it literally was across the world, wasn't it? You know, we, there was, it was split into two areas. There was the Southern Hemisphere and the Northern Hemisphere. So we had a group that was kind of Australia and Asia in that way, and then he had one for Europe and America. And literally there were, there were us and at, at one point over a 1,000 other people on this program, which was... Create Your Destiny. Create Your Destiny, which was about unlocking your genius. So getting Sue on today is important because, A, it's the 50th episode. I want it to be somebody special. But also, I wanted to, I wanted to use this episode as a way to... What's the word I'm looking for? I, I, I don't want to make it sound all too grandiose. But in a way to unveil to you the, the kind of work that I've been looking at in the last, what is, four or five months now. Because I think this work has, has massively changed my my perception of things and the way I do stuff. So what we thought we'd do today, I'll talk to Sue about this idea. So when she says she's making her choices, William White Cloud's work, and I'm going to try to put this as succinctly as possible in a couple of sentences. If I get it wrong or you don't agree with it, jump in, Sue. Okay. William White Cloud basically talks about us connecting with our creative inner genius. And his, his kind of set up to what his work is that all of us have an inner genius, an intuition, that if we connect to that intuition, we could create and have anything we wanted in life. I think that's a good summary. Good. Now, what this is not is the secret, because some of you may know of Rhonda Byrne's secret book, this idea of, you know, you you think of a million pounds and it drops through your letterbox kind of thing. It's none of that. And William Whitecloud is not a particular fan of that kind of stuff, because it's based on a bit of an illusion, really, that you just think and get it. No, he talks about using your creative genius. And this is something that the reason it might sound strange if you're hearing it for the first time and you haven't heard about William White Cloud's work is this is the way 
we have been conditioned to thinking that this kind of stuff isn't, it just does not work. And the ideal is you make choices based on what you would love to do in life. So what would you love to experience, love to have, be, do? And based on what you'd love to be and do, the way the secret would work is you would just focus on what you'd love to do. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to have a, I don't know, a, a black Range Rover. I would love to have a black Range Rover. Or in Sue's case, it might be I'd like to have some, some golden shoes <laughs> in a black Range Rover. Yeah. Or a golden Range Rover. Anyway, and the idea of the secret is you just focus on that and it'll happen. And most people who bought the book tried to focus on having that thing and it never happened. White Cloud's work takes you into a different place where what he says is you focus on where you want to be and experience that, but you also pay a lot of attention to where you currently are. And the idea being, if you want to be somewhere, let's say you want to be happy and healthy, and you're now unhappy and unhealthy. By just looking at the happy and unhealthiness, that does nothing. But if you also focus on the being unhealthy and unhappy, and you're not where you want to be, what does that create? Tension. It creates tension. It creates that slightly pissed off feeling. And it's that tension that we need to use. So by creating this where I am and where I want to be, and playing with the tension and being comfortable with the tension in between, we move forward towards it because the tension creates it. And tension always requires resolution. Resolution, Because if you think about it, when we have any tension, especially around um, people that we love, we, we kind of bend over backwards to resolve the tension, which then doesn't allow for growth. Yeah, so the idea would be, let's say you're in a, you're in a conversation with somebody like me and Sue this morning, we were talking about doing this podcast and I says are we doing a podcast clearly I wanted to do it then um Sue says no oh a bit of tension there <laughs> that's because I was doing no, something I know else. but I'm, I'm using this as an example so I could have said oh that's okay then that's fine and then just wandered away and not mentioning it again to you but I said well when can we do it and then you said well so you'll have felt some tension because I've thrown it back to you I'm gonna answer his question what how do I, so we agreed it 15 minutes later we'll do it so by avoiding tension we don't allow our creativity to come up with a solution that's creative and different. So the idea is when you've got tension in place and tension at play, it will come up, it will allow you to think more creatively. Not from what you currently know, because what you currently know will be the same way you've always done it. This will bring out a new way of thinking. And that's what William White Cloud's work is all about. So you make choices of where you want to be, except where you are now, and there's a tension and working with tension. And this is something... As a society, certainly in the UK, we're very, very bad at dealing with tension. We don't like it, do we? No. You see examples of it all the time, especially other people trying to relieve your tension. Yes, fixing. And I think um, one of the, the biggest things for me is when you're in an uncomfortable conversation and people can't sit there with the uncomfortableness of to try and relieve it by saying something. By speaking, making a little bit of a joke, they just hate that tension. The one thing I used to do a lot, and I still think I do probably now, is I used to be quite uncomfortable with silence. Mm, that's what I've just been saying, that yeah, silence that's, that's... people, you know, my mother bless her, I think older people as well, they don't like that silence. They have to fill it with some conversation. So by that, you feel the tension of the silence, but you, to, to relieve the tension, you talk. Instead of just sitting with attention, what's wrong with sitting with attention? And and this was alien to me when I read the book. It was alien to have this kind of idea of how to, the, the, the concept of attention because when I read his book, I realised that, hang on, he's right. How much tension do we try to avoid? Mm. And then we, we what we do is we try to think, well, like let's say now, I mean, this would be a prime example of, of, of me today. I have, I'm, I'm really today feeling quite frustrated that I can't create some content today because the creation of content today should have taken me 15 minutes this morning. 10 minutes for a blog, five minutes to record a video, you know, and we're at, we're at lunchtime. So all of a sudden I'm feeling the tension that this day I've set aside to this work. I wanted to get this done because I've got some plans this afternoon. There's all this tension. And quite honestly, it's a horrible feeling. Tension can be quite horrible. But when we become comfortable with it, it allows something else to come out. So this idea of 
accepting tension and actually welcoming tension is alien to most people. You just wouldn't, you would, you would always try to avoid it. Do it with everything. I've no money. I feel pissed off. And so what? Then what are you going to do about that? And the idea is you then leave that and you look at what your creative genius brings out. This book has really, I think, started a change. I've certainly seen a change in you since we started doing this work. I've certainly seen a change in myself because it just also opens you up to other things. I talk about this a lot with people that once you go down a path of discovering something, very quickly you'll see other paths you follow. So this is a bit of creative tension because you're relevant to this. Sue is probably one of the best yoga teachers I've ever met. I've only met four. <laughs> no. Three, Two. actually. No. From what I see of yoga teachers, Sue is brilliant. And Sue is a very calm character. So I'm going to just plod some. some okay, so, okay. you see, sometimes people find this uncomfortable. So, you see, they try to relieve the tension by saying, oh, oh, oh. No, you know, no, no, no. I'm used to it you, now. You're used to being uh, showered with. Yeah, and I'm, I'm quite comfortable with. Um, feedback that's not, okay. not so positive so this is how the tension resolution thing works so for months maybe a couple of years now sue got into a yoga and she started looking at bits around it and there's something around the yoga which if you watch sue's work and if you don't watch your work you should you should check it out on facebook or a website hjcyoga.com she the, there's much more to yoga than just yoga because when we talk about yoga in the western world we think oh yoga is touching your toes downward dog all the kind of moves, but they're not called that, are they? Actually, what they're called, I'll they're let you go to this bit. Asanas, asanas, asana, isn't it? Yes, asana. asana. That's one aspect of yoga, it's one aspect of what they call the eight limbs of yoga. Yoga is a philosophy, so when people say yoga, they mean asana, but actually, yoga itself is a much wider subject. Is that correct? Correct, excellent. So, there's a book that Sue's got called The Eight Limbs of Yoga, which explains what these other aspects of yoga are. And for months, I've been, in fact, longer maybe, months, definitely months, but maybe a year and a half now, I said, you need to really get into that book because I think there's something in that. There's, I get the sense that there's something within the eight limbs that, that could be very useful to help people. And I've been going on about it and on about it, and she'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then one day the tension came up, and then the solution came to, it, to me. Okay, instead of Sue getting into the eight limbs of yoga, I'm going to do it. Bollocks to her. That's what I thought. I thought, I've been telling you this long enough now. I think there's something in it. I want to know more about it. So I allowed the tension to sit there. The tension came up with the resolution was, you read the book. I've read the book. Changed my life. Literally within three or four weeks of time to read that book, I'm now absolutely more than ever convinced that within those eight limbs of yoga, there is a solution to solve most of the problems we currently face here in the UK and possibly worldwide because I allowed myself to sit with the tension and the solution came up because I thought the solution was, well, Sue should do more about it. But then I think the, the, the thing that popped in through intuition was, I'll read it. Bang. That's how tension resolution works with the intuition. And here's the other flip side to this. I was massively into William Whitecloud. I got so into it. Now what do you think is mostly into William Whitecloud's work? Me. Susan. <laughs> I've drifted more off into this yoga world and Pantangeline Sutras and understanding some Eastern mystics and she's moved into William Whitecloud. Again, these things happen intuitively. She's intuitively started to work with her. You've got a coach now and you've taken on a coach. I've, yeah, after um, not having a coach for many, many years, I, um, I've got myself a coach. So tell me about that, because I think this is important. Because this has come through White Cloud's work, following your intuition. Tell me how you found her and how that came about. Well, we did this online course, which, you know, if anybody wants to know, he's starting it again in September. Um, it was, it's his, like, signature course that he usually charges, I don't know, $700 for, and he does it online um, free of charge. It's well worth checking out. And part of the, the course is you get into groups, and you have Zoom calls and you practice because, there's, you know, we've probably made it sound very simple. You just sit in tension and you resolve it. You know, you, you get these ideas. There's a lot more to it than that. So we could join outside groups 
and practice so we had zoom calls you know at different times you could you could join as many as you wanted they had this big calendar and people were running them all the time and you could just kind of drop an email and get into a group so i met some um interesting people they are mainly women as as usual and um after the course had finished, it was a little bit of a, you know, you get that bit of a let down feeling because you've really enjoyed it. You've talked to a lot of people. And a lady that I'd met in one of the groups said, oh, so-and-so, so-and-so is doing a free group because she wants to start doing a paid group. So I got involved in that. And um, I decided that I read so many things and I get excited and I do courses. And once they've finished, it all drifts away. But I was so excited about this work and, and how it could, you know, resolve a lot of things in my life that I wanted to keep it going. So I decided to find a coach who was aware of this, of William White Cloud's work and used it in their coaching practice. And uh, that that is what I have done. And I think the interesting thing with this for me is how if you sit with the idea of White Cloud's work, and I suppose Sue says something there, which I want to reiterate, just don't go, don't go out and buy the book and think that's it. You're going to read the book and I'll know. This this is work that requires work. It's not about reading a book that just goes on your shelf. This is something you have to become immersed in. And I think there's far too many people read personal development books, and I would put myself in that in the past, where you read a book, think you know it all, and run off out and make a real hash of it. Because you need to have expert help into into moving into how to use this work effectively. Because there's so many pitfalls along the way. False summits, as you would call them, in walking. In walking, there's something called a false summit, which is when you're going up a big hill sometimes, you see a, a, you can start, kind of see some sky at top, and you think, oh, I've got to the top. And when you get there, there's, there's another, another sun, hill. there's another hill, <laughs> and it's called a false summit. And there's lots of false summits in a lot of work. So finding people that are, that are, that are trained... And experienced in the work you want to do is really, really important. Otherwise, you just get half, half knowledge and go out, and that's really more dangerous than no knowledge. But the white, the white cloud work pulls Sue in that direction. So like now, one of the pieces of work he does is he allows you to go and make what they call choices. And these are the choice of things you would love to, to be, have, or do in your life. And I wanted to explore that a little bit more with you because this is something that I found fascinating about his work. And it, it, it started me asking a question to myself, to start with, I've also asked it to other people, which is, what do you love to do? What would you love to do if you had the opportunity? What would you love to do? And I think if you ask yourself that question, and this is what I was trying to write my blog about this morning, so I'm hoping I can use this as a springboard to get my blog written, was if you were given an option tomorrow, in fact, I'm going to ask you this, so see, see how you answer this question. Because, <laughs> no, it's, because it's really, I find this a really interesting piece of work. So tomorrow morning, somebody comes to you and says, hello, Susan, or hello, listener, whoever's listening to this podcast, hello, you. Um, we're going to give you an amount of money. How much money would you want every year to be to be more than comfortable? So you have to go up with a figure, and it no matter what that figure is, you can choose it yourself. So oh, we're going to give you that, but what you've got to do is keep yourself busy between the hours of 9 to 5, Monday to Friday, roughly 40 hours a week, you've got to do something, because you've got to have a job, you've got to do something with your time. Um, sitting on a couch, you know, watching telly does not count. You've got to do something that you, you want to do. What would you do? So you'd clearly, if you didn't have to do it, you'd do something you love doing. Why would you not? Everybody would do something they love doing. So I've been asking myself that question for a while because if under that circumstance of you don't need to worry about money, you just got to do something you love to fill your time, what would you be doing? Is what you're doing now that? That's the question. Is what you're doing now what you love doing? And if it isn't, why is it not? I find something, I saw somebody on LinkedIn the other day and they said something which I think the words were along the line this, you know, helping people to grow their business lights my fire, gets me going. And I thought, is that true or not? How many times do you hear people saying, I'm passionate about this? It's, it's a wonderful thing in the world of business. I'm passionate about helping small businesses understand social media i'm passionate about helping middle-aged women transform their lives you know there's a lot of that stuff on you'll see on your timeline i don't see it i see it on mine but is it is that really what you'd love to do 
really? Or is it just the fact that I'm passionate about it because actually I'm reasonably good at it and I can earn some money to allow me to do other stuff that I'm really passionate about and that I really do love doing? So given that chance, we're both going to answer this question, by the way, because I've thought about this a bit more than you, so I'd be interested to have your answer to this. Is given that opportunity now, you don't have to do anything to earn any money. You're going to get paid, but you've got to do something you love. What would Sue's time look like? What would your new thing be? Will it still be yoga or will it be something else? Let me know. Come on. Oh, no. No, oh, no. I thought you were going to go first. Do you want me to go first to give you time? <laughs> no, no, you're okay. No, I love doing my yoga and yoga is part of the life that I would like, that I, I have got my eye on because it's all based around um, looking looking after people, creating a space for people where they can rest, recuperate where they can enjoy beautiful food, where they can have yoga, where they can just basically have a lot of self-care, a place. And I would swan around all day, organising, cooking, growing stuff in my garden, all that kind of thing. And yoga is part of that. So it's part of my life. But teaching in front of a screen online during lockdown has um, had its limitations and it's... um, not really what I want to do long term. So I'm not. I don't feel I'm a million miles away. I don't think people ever are. This this is the thing. This this is the kicker to this. I, I think there are some people that do jobs they absolutely hate, and I do always question why they do that. Years ago, you know, it was very different. I always this just brings up a story when I went to see my. They were called solicitors in the eighties. They're called lawyers now. And I went with my mum over some house she was buying. And the guy she was talking to, I remember his name. I won't say his name. I might do. He's called David. I've forgotten his surname. And my mum had asked him, they were chit-chatting, and she said, did you always, did you always, you know, like being interested in law and being a solicitor? And he said, oh, no. No, 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 no. He said, I always wanted to be a carpenter. But my, my dad said there was no money in it and, I, and made me go to law school. And now I'm too old to do anything different. And I remember that conversation. I remember thinking, oh, that's a bit, you know, has he spent all his life working in law and really wanted to be a carpenter? It's it's really, I think that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. It used to happen more. You were expected to, to get a career and, and get a job that paid money to basically buy things. Well, William White class work, I won't say brought up to me and, and, and showed me, I think it reminded me, is we have a lot more choice over our use of our time than we might think. And the one thing that most people that are stuck in jobs that they dislike don't understand is there's always other jobs. It's just there's, a, there's an element of inertia. I think there's also an element of laziness. Also, people don't believe that they're well, capable. Well, it's fear. It's fear. Yeah, because if you're not happy... You need to do something that does make you happy. And I, I, I've been to places where these weren't fantastic jobs, by the way, by, I suppose, at the standards most people class fantastic jobs as or by. You know, I've been to coffee shops where you've, you've been in there or to, to restaurants when the people serving you clearly loved what they did. They loved serving you food. You know, look at Cotterima in, in Wakefield. Sam just genuinely loves running that little little place. And if he doesn't, he does a right good job of pretending he does because <laughs> I, I get no sense in there that he's not doing anything other than what he loves sharing um, Abyssinian or Ethiopian food with other people he loves doing it he talks to people and on his on his website and things all about family and stuff it's really important to him and I think if I ask that question to most people what would you do if you're given that scenario of no money required I think most people would have to admit they were probably doing something that they didn't enjoy 100% and this is why William Whitecloud's work is, is, is saying that you should do what you love to do. Why not? Why, why, why are you not capable or worthy to do that? One of, the, one of the wonderful things about having been involved in business for quite a lot of time now and understand the business community is how many people took something they love doing. <coughs> oh, a little cough there from Sue. Get your water down here. Sure. Sue's got a new little water bottle with a carbon filter in it. Allergic to office. I'll buy anything. <laughs> no, it's healthy. It's good for you. Cutting down on plastic. We'll talk about that. Let's bring plastic up in a little bit on. But let's just go back to this. 
How many people will have started out thinking, I love doing this, so let's say you love doing something, and that might be I, I, I love creating dresses or I love creating artwork, and then you think, I'm going to do that for a living, and then it changes, the game changes, because you can't be unapologetically that. You have to turn it into, and now we need to understand other things, I need to understand how to run a business, I need to understand about marketing. But actually what you really want to do is just make dresses, draw paintings, whatever. And I think if you don't, ever have this brought to your attention, which I'm hoping if you listen to this podcast, it will bring to attention is, are you doing what you love? And how far away from doing exactly what you love are you? And you've got to aim to that. I have this bit of a love-hate relationship with um, LinkedIn. It's mainly a hate relationship because at some level, to answer the same question I've answered you is, I, I love to help people. I always have from, from being a kid. You know, I'm not talking this is something happened... I didn't get a passion for this five years ago. I've always felt that people, some people were treated unfairly. I didn't like people who were treated unfairly. I thought there was a way that I, I could resolve some of their wrongs. I think a lot of people um, struggle with things that they need some assistance and some support with. I think most people's problems in life are, are a lot smaller than they think. They just feel bigger because no one's helping them. And the one thing about, I suppose, the area I tend to focus on, which is mentoring and coaching, I get completely pissed off when people say um, I'm working with high-end clients as if to say, you know, if you've not got the money, you're not good enough to have any help. You know, you don't deserve it. And I've always hated that about coaching. The fact that the majority of courses that you're online for coaches to sell more coaches always talk about that. Find the high-end clients, the platinum clients. So the people with money you want to work with, but the other people, bollocks to them, we're not bothered about you. You haven't got the money. But well, what's that saying about you as a practitioner? If you love to help people or you want to assist people, I don't like the concept that there's a barrier for entry, which is money. So I get passionate about helping people. But the one thing this last this pandemic has brought up to me as well is how much I love being outside. So being outside and talking to people while I'm outside is even better. I love that. I love being in nature. I love being in things like um, art galleries and museums. I love history. I love to, to, to use history as a tool to talk about things because I think a lot of the stuff that's happened in the past we can learn from so I started to realise if I was putting my perfect thing together it's probably not unfar away or far away from what you'd wanting to do which is how do you get people to come to a place that would be in nature that would get the chance to connect with nature more eat lovely wholesome food learn about your well-being calm the fuck down you know let's not have all the stress and hassle that's in normal life and get to understand who you are so my thing is about self-awareness. Once you become aware of who you are, I think you've, you've, you've solved most of your problems in your life by just knowing who you are and then acting upon that. It's like you, you have this ability to be very calm. You're a very calm person. I don't carry the same calm energy that you do a lot of the time. I do have it, but mine tends to be more of a kind of a, a directive and a more supportive, a bit more motivational way. But I realise a lot of that isn't, truly who I am that's a part of what I can do but supporting people and seeing people grow is a wonderful thing I mention this because part of William Whitecloud's work as I mentioned a few times now in this podcast is about going after what you love not what you think you love not what you think you can do and therein lies one of the challenges people have because if you ask people to say what would you like to do what would you love to do most people will base it on what they think they can do not what they'd really love to do. And I think that's interesting with you, how what you're talking about, you know, this place in nature and all that kind of thing. You know, I wonder how much that is based on what you think you can do and how much you'd really love to do. So I'm gonna I'm gonna play with you on this now. <laughs> okay. We're gonna we're gonna do a little bit of a deeper dive. So let's let's start to look at your thing in more detail. Okay. Based on the fact this is not about what you think you could do. It's just, it just, it doesn't even have to be possible. It doesn't have to be, even seem real to you. From a, almost like a fantasy level, what would that place look like? Where would it be? That's interesting you say that. Remember yesterday when I said that somebody that I know, a yoga teacher, has got a retreat in Croatia. Him and his wife are running and it was basically come get some yoga, get some beautiful food, hang around, do swimming, blah, blah, blah. And then I said... You said, how much is it? And I said, well, I don't know, because 
there's no point in looking because I was coming from the amount of money that I've got now, which is not enough to go on a retreat like that. So we go on what we know because that's the ego looking for, is it orientation? Well... It looks yeah. at what's gone before because that's it, all it, it can look it, at. It needs to know. The ego asks this question, what, how, is, how are things here? What's going on here? Yeah. So and we, it will base it on what you've previously done. So if, if you walk into a situation, let's say you've gone into a... Let's say you've gone into a networking event or a, 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 a meeting with other people and you had a really bad experience of that. Your ego will be saying, what's going on here? And it'll be looking at what it's seen before. So it will say, oh... You've been to one of these things before. They were horrible. So don't you go, go don't, don't go. go, don't go. So it'll start to keep you away. So yeah, orientation is where your ego is looking for which direction do we go. It comes down to this. Whatever your subconscious is told, it will believe. Whatever it's told. It says yes to. It says yes to whatever you put into it. So it'll say yes to that. Now your subconscious can be given, given information from three different places. It can come from your unconscious. It can come from your self-awareness, the awareness of the moment. Self-conscious. Or it can come from genius thinking or super-consciousness. And that's what White Cloud is trying to push us towards, spending more time in the super-conscious. Not the unconscious, which is based on what you currently know. So your unconscious class has your ego. What's happened before? What's my experience of this? Then based on that, I'll tell the, the subconscious what to do. But you should be aiming to have the superconscious tell the subconscious what to do. Because apparently those three parts of our consciousness that feed the subconscious are all working at the same time. It's what we decide to listen to, which messages we decide to listen to. Anyway, what was your question about what what I want? I'm saying, to do? what would you? How would, <laughs> what, what? So now take away them limitations. Yeah. Try to come from a more creative place. What would this space look like? Where would it be? What would so let's like, we're trying to sell it to people listening now. So let's assume now Sue's trying to pitch a retreat center or whatever it is to you. What tell us a bit more detail about it? Oh, my retreat center is um, well, I whittled it down through my choices. It's in the Italian countryside Ooh. because it's we have a nice climate during the summer. We have a little bit of chillier and occasionally a little bit of frost and that during the winter. There's a lot of space, a lot of rolling hills around. So we're not really near other houses and it's a beautiful, big, old, maybe like, I'm not sure, like a villa or like a farmhouse. So, you know, like one of these like 18th century villas, the very square houses with the uh, geometric windows. I'm not sure if it's that. I think it's more of a farmhouse because it's more warm and it's more homely. It's very cool inside as well. And there's lots of people that come and go. We've got this huge table outside where people um, congregate around at mealtimes. We've got a lot of beautiful fresh food. We have our own garden, you know, like a walled garden. And we grow all our own tomatoes, courgettes, whatever, whatever we can grow in that, in that kind of climate. And we harvest as much as we can and we feed people as organically as possible. There's a lot of space. People have quiet spaces as well. Of course, we've got a beautiful pool. And we have a lot of hiking. We've got some good walking. We don't do as much walking in the hot sun. That's kind of like a springtime thing or kind of late summer, early autumn. And people turn up looking really harassed. You know, they tend to kind of like speed up in a car and um, shriek to a... Shriek, is that a word? <laughs> you know, put the brakes on. What's the word? Screech. Screech. I put shriek. <laughs> Screech to a halt. They get out. They're all stressed and all wound up. And um, I take them around the villa, around the gardens, show them to the room, let them just unwind and they spend a couple of weeks of there. Just not doing a right lot, really. I like it. But I'll there's yoga classes. There's um, Tai Chi there's um, art classes, there's cookery demonstrations and people can join in. They don't need to join in. They can do what they like. We're not near the sea because we do have a beautiful waterfall and a stream which is just deep enough to, to swim in. It's very cold. We tend to go down there at dawn. We have a little yoga, a little yoga place down there. We do a little bit of sun salutations, a little bit of jumping in the water and... Just 
being rather than doing. I like it. Well, you can't see this because clearly it's a it's a, <laughs> a podcast as opposed to a video. We don't record these, but you can you can you may have heard it in a voice, but I can certainly pick it up by sitting and watching and talking. How how she's getting into that? She's almost embodying and feeling it, and there's a there's a genuine sense of of interest and excitement about it. I'm barefoot, always barefoot, and I've got some long flowing. Easy, easy wear, on. yeah, not not robes or anything, you know, just a nice light dress and I float around and I'm laughing and I'm talking to people and we have a lot of people come in. A lot of people come for privacy, you know, when they arrive at the gates, they come in, they're just treated like everybody else. We're all equal, we're all the same. But you can feel it in your own voice, can't you, how you get into that. That's what I'm talking about, doing something. Sue would generally love to do that. So rather than leaving that, I'd just love to do it, then we, we keep that that space of that's where we want to be and, and you keep reminding yourself of this. And you attach emotion. And you attach the way she's attaching emotion now, like she's become a lot animated with her hands and she's into that. And the more emotion you attach to it, the more real it becomes. Then what you do is you go back into the current reality, which is you're in Wakefield, mm. you're doing yoga on a screen, mm. you know, you get slightly frustrated at putting little courses out there that nobody seems to want to have any interest in. <laughs> um, I share your frustrations because I'm going to go into mine in a minute. But straight away now, you go, so you know that that's one area, that you, the, the way you want to be. And where you are now, because you're not there, there's a tension. So what we sometimes do is ignore that tension. Well, no, you're going to use that tension now. Sue's going to use that tension. And if she uses that tension correctly, it will guide her on the path to get to that. How she'll get there how it'll show itself, who'll be involved, is, is yet to be found out. That's when the ego tries to come in and tell us how it's going to be done. Yeah, how are you going to do that? Who's going to pay for that? Blah, blah, blah. You get all these questions. Exactly. So it comes up, oh, I could never do that. Oh, why Italy? I can't leave Wakefield. You know, what about this? What about that? No, you just stick with that's where I want to be. This is where I am now. The tension is the bit in the middle. We use that tension to catapult us towards that. And this is the work that White Cloud does. This is the work now that we've become experiencing and we're going to start doing it. I've started a little bit with, with, with the people that I do some But you don't with. just have that one choice. No, you have you? eight. You have, you have eight choice. Eight well, it nine. says between up to eight. Mm-hmm. You need more than five, less than ten. And there's two, they're called um, orientation choices. Um, and then you have two choices which everybody makes, fundamental choice or foundational choices. And that is the choice to have health. To be healthy. And the choice to live on your... Live your true nature and True purpose. nature and purpose. So what you do is you make that choice in that way on a daily basis. You read the choice and the choices are, I choose the end result of, and then whatever the end result you want it to be. And that's how these choices are formulated. And th- this course that we did was spending six weeks understanding how this works and understanding another thing, which is to do with... Um, you know, tension um, requires resolution, always. And the way to kind of explain that was if you were to tie, turn your hose pipe on outside, if you've got a hose pipe in your garden, and you were to t- sort of put a knot in the hose, what would happen? The, t- the tension would build up. And it won't build up forever, because if you left it running for long enough, something would pop. Either the, the thing that holds the hose onto the, the, the tap would bust, the, the pipe itself would bust somewhere, but the te- something would bust. The tension would build up to a point where it would have to be released. Tension requires resolution. This is not something that William White clad make up. It's a natural rule. All tension requires resolution, which is why for, you can be going through a park. We experienced this this year, which was a bit scary. I've got to say, we were, in the, we were going through the snow, going through a park in Wakefield, and a tree fell down in front of Sue, didn't it? Just fell down. Why? Because the weight had built up, tension was there, the tension had to be released by the tree snapping. So luckily it didn't snap. On my head. And fall on you. That would have been a bit of a ropey end to a day out, wouldn't it? Where's Sue? She's under a tree somewhere. When I thought about this, and I've asked that question to myself, and based on White Cloud's work, I would be spending more time outside. I'm also incredibly pulled towards some of this Eastern um, philosophy around yoga. And if, if I'm completely honest, if I had the opportunity tomorrow to go on a place, to an ashram and spend three months dressed in a robe, let my beard grow and reading the sutras, I'd take it up. I'd do it. I realised it's taken me the thing I don't... I love working with people. I love helping people. But to box, package that up and put it into a box and call it a business offering, I've no love for that whatsoever. 
I love to work with people. If then people happen to run a business, well, that's just a, 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 a nice coincidence. And I think that when we go after what we love doing, so based on that, that's what we should be doing. We should be going after what we love. And I think most people aren't. You know, when you think about some of the people you know that are massively talented at something, and you'd know they'd love to do it. I know members of my family, your family, that, that are really good at certain things, but they're not doing that. They'd love to do it. And it's always when, when I retire, when I get enough money, next year. You know, what's about now? What about doing it now? What are we waiting for? We're waiting because there's some illusion that what we, there's, there's the right time to do it. Oh, when this happens, this can happen. And that never happens. If you're sat there listening to this podcast and you say, well, when I get enough money, I'm going to do this. You'll never have the money to do it. You'll never have enough. Because you'll never have enough. And I've, I've, like I say, this love hate thing with, with LinkedIn, I, I, can't, I, I can't do that no more. I can't sit on there and have to almost sell my soul. I, I don't want to do that. It's just not Why possible. Why don't you sit on there and be yourself? That's what I'm doing. That's my new found plan. Because that's what I do. Well, this perhaps is... The... That's cause, because, perhaps that's because then nobody interacts with me. <laughs> but, but, I just put my own stuff but are on. But are you better off sat somewhere... With nobody interacting with you being yourself, then loads of people interacting with you and you're false. No, I like being myself and I like putting stuff on there that, that makes me laugh and I find enjoyable. And then whether people like it or not is irrelevant. Well, I, I found that with with these podcasts and the blogs and everything and the videos I'm doing at the moment. I'm doing them because actually it's a good practice for me. It's almost, I'm, I'm using it as almost like a sense of discipline and meditation. And it's funny, just in the last few days, I've noticed certainly the videos on Facebook and one or two people have liked and I don't even know. And then probably because somebody, I don't know how why, but it doesn't matter. Because if you if you if you're looking for an outcome of, I want I want recognition for this, then you're not being yourself. Because if you've been yourself, the the reward is being yourself. Mm. And it's funny how people then go to get the advice off other so-called gurus. You know, I don't know how to work online, so I'll find someone who'll tell me how to do that. I don't know about my marketing. I'll tell them to do that. Well, what would you do? What do you want to do? Do you love doing this? When I went into business, I remember I went in because I was, it was an opportunity but that I took. And I remember how much I loved it. And I remember how quickly I stopped loving it. Because the minute it became something that I didn't love anymore, and I sh- that was the one thing that I regret. I should never have turned my business into something I didn't love and it wasn't completely 100% what I wanted to do. But we don't because we think, well, hang on, by doing this, we're going to earn more money. So what? always, always it'll come down to some element of because of the money. Well, that's interesting. You know, I've been watching this series on Halston. Halston was a designer, Roy Halston, in the 70s. And he was very creative and he didn't really follow any patterns. He set up, you know, he started making, well, he started making hats originally. And it happened he made one for Jackie Anassis and then nobody wore hats. And anyway, and he got taken over and over and over by bigger and bigger and bigger businesses for the money. He did kind of like battle against it a little bit, but he, he got turned by the money. It became very extravagant. He lived this opulent lifestyle. And he ended up being the face of J.C. Penney. J.C. Penney, yeah. For $66 million in 1985. That's a lot of money. It was a lot of money. And he ended up, he came to a sticky end. He ended up becoming um, a drug addict and an alcoholic because he, and he even sold his name. So he couldn't start again with the name Halston. He'd sold his name. And he sold it forever as well. And he ended up hating what he did. This is a call to to anybody that's listening to this that can resonate with some of this. Yes, I'm not doing exactly what I love doing. It started out that way, but it's not that way anymore. You've got to pull it back around. You just have to create some... Fun and some energy and some ease into well, no, you what have, you do. You have to let, let's. Well, that for I'm gonna me, pull that's that ba- what I do. I'm going to pull that back a bit from fun. I think you have to create doing what you love because you'll tend to find what you love is fun anyway. Yeah. Last Saturday or the, the couple of Saturdays ago, I spent an entire day from literally eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night in a kitchen chopping onions, cooking curries, and I loved it. I loved doing it. And and, and I'll tell you when you know you love doing something. I did not realize that it was five o'clock in the afternoon and I'm still sat there with my arms full of, you know, 
curry powder and stuff. I could smell curry from the garage. Yeah, because I love doing it. I love <laughs> doing it. I could smell it on you for three days. I loved. I love to do that kind of thing. So this is about if you've got to look at this seriously because you know life. We don't have a lot of time on this planet. You know, let's say we get it 80, 90, 100 years old, and you know we all think we'll live to hundred. Not you know the statistics are very straightforward. Not many of us will. Most of us will get to three score year and ten, so seventy-five. That's the truth, and we might be getting slightly longer life expectancy. But the reality is, you don't have a lot of time. So why waste any of that time doing something that you don't genuinely love doing? And this is no kind of a excuse for you now to just pack your job in tomorrow and go travelling around the world. You need to be a bit sensible about this. You know, decide I want to be somewhere else, and then make paths to get towards it. But sat there frustrated in something you're doing while not having a plan of where you want to go and making a decision you want to be somewhere else, it's futile. All you're going to be doing is frustrating yourself day after day after day. Counting the days off to retirement. But then what after retirement? And then what? Then My dad retired when he was 65. My dad retired in July or June. It was June, June or July, when he was 60, 65. He retired in July. Working dead in November. That That's, was a long and successful I, yeah, I think, retirement. Um, a lot of people only live a couple of years after Not long. So this is about doing what you love. And there's, there's, there is an adage just saying, which I think, you know, it, it's used a lot and it's used a lot because it's probably correct, is if you do what you love, you'll never do another day's work in your life. So if you if you make what you love doing your living, you'll never have another day, you'll never work another day in your life because you love doing it. And I think the time you, you know you're doing something right is when what you do when you're not, supposedly working and you are doing what you're supposed to work in is as close to the same thing as possible you might do it in a slightly different way <laughs> so that's the, what I wanted to share with you on this 50th episode um, and for me I wanted to use this one as, as a way to move more into this I love being outside I love people being healthy I really do feel for people that are in kind of bad health frustration and, and, and that in life so I want to start to use these podcasts now more to to try to inspire you to, to chase after what you love doing. And I'm going to share a few different things in the upcoming podcast, some deeper stuff. I know I've used this word before, spirituality, but this book, The Eight Limbs of Yoga, if you were to read it and you didn't, you'd not read anything like it before, it would seem a bit way out there. But I think it needs bringing into the 21st century and putting it in a different way, because I think using different words but the same methods uh, could be could be really interesting. Not just for us as a, as a as a species, as in human beings, I think it could be interesting and very positive for our planet. Because within the structure of the eight limbs of yoga, I believe there's something there that can help us live healthy in mind, body and spirit and also live on a planet that's thriving. And at the moment, not many of us are living healthy in mind, body and spirit and this planet certainly is not thriving at the moment. Something needs to happen. So maybe I can do my little bit in whatever way that's possible. So there you go, that's episode 50 for you. Check out William Whitecloud's book, um, it's worth a read. But listen, I'm going to put this out there. If it's something that, that you do like the idea of and it resonates with you and you think, I'd like to know more about that, if there was enough people interested, me, me and Sue might look to put something together on that, a little maybe a group on Facebook that we could maybe read the book and go through it with you. But give you some assistance anyway on that, I think. Um, because I think it's so important. The William Whitecloud work is groundbreaking but the beauty of it is it's something that's been around for actually millennia it's just that he's brought it back to the fore in a more modern way a little bit what i'd like to do with the eight limbs of yoga so watch this space right susan's now making wiggling noises she needs to go for a wee so we'll pull this podcast to an end we've been at it nearly an hour 53 minutes excellent it's long enough long enough so thank you for being my guest on this 50th episode you are welcome and um, thank you for listening. And until the next podcast, you all take care. Bye-bye.